when we are triggered and programmed by controller agendas, right? We will, we will feed into that programming and fear is the biggest feeder. And people don't understand the laws of the universe. These are actual energetic structure laws that are very, very real. And one of them is basically the law of attraction or cause and effect. So the law of attraction is kind of a spin-off of it, but the law of attraction means anything I really, really want, I'm creating and I get. Anything I really, really don't want, I'm creating and I get. And sometimes even more. So when we are not wanting more, I don't want more. I don't want to see that happen. I don't want to see that happen. You're actually telling the universe, I'm going to see that happen again. And so when we become really self-responsible in our spiritual journeys, we understand the responsibility of being a collective. We understand it is my job to go into the collective and change those scales of so-called justice. You know how they weigh on the justice card. And it's, it's, oh my gosh, instead of complaining and being fear about everything that's scary, my job is to pump in what is wonderful and beautiful so that that collective has an opportunity to hold that frequency and vibration so more like can find like for that. Mm. And that is not how our universe works right now. It's usually the other way. And when people finally click on this, they become very powerful in terms of their individualized manifestation, and they become very aware on the collective field. It's fascinating. And we should be very, very wise about this because it is real. It is real. Welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio. Exploring the frontiers of spirituality, consciousness, the esoteric, and humanity's sacred relationship with a living earth. I'm your host, Nick Mather, and in this episode, I am joined by author, energy healing practitioner, intuitive and psychic empath, Suzanne Worthley, to discuss her book, Confident Empath, a complete guide to multidimensional empathing and energetic protection. Suzanne discusses the different types of empaths, the differences between empathy, empathizing, and empathing, the power of choice, energy vampires, and how being one is the ultimate law of the universe. Also, please be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you use to listen to or view podcasts. Your support is truly appreciated. Suzanne Worthley has been an energy healing practitioner, intuitive, and psychic empath for more than two decades. She teaches about consciousness studies and energy work and offers spiritual tours of Peru and Sedona in Arizona. She is the author of An Energy Healer's Book of Dying. She joins me today to discuss her latest book, Confident Empath, a complete guide to multidimensional empathing and energetic protection. Suzanne, welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for this. Yeah, I am too. I am too. And one of the reasons I'm really excited about this is because it's kind of personal for me. Good. Uh, you, yeah. You know, I always have an interest, in the books that I've read and the authors I speak to, but you know, you noted in the book that you've seen this pretty large increase of people who identify as being empaths. Yes. And so I'm going to throw my hat into that ring and say that I'm one of them. I have identified as being an empath for a very long time. As soon as I heard the word and someone kind of described it to me, I'm like, yes, that's it. Uh, So I want to know from you, what is an empath? (laughs) Thank you for asking, because this is part of the reason I put the book out. I'm doing my best to 
kind of discern the difference between being empathetic and having empathy and being an empath. So if I can back up and say empathy yeah. mm -hmm. is a birthright of being a human. We have these amazing divine vehicles that we walk around in every day that have all kinds of fields that help us interact with the world. And one of those fields is our emotional sensory field. We are born to be sentient, which means we get to feel and connect as one. And so empathy is wonderful. We walk in each other's shoes. I can feel your feeling. I can understand it. But empathing means that I not only walk in your shoes, but I take your shoes and then I steal your shoes and I keep your shoes and you don't get your shoes anymore. <laughs> it's just this robbing of energy. And it is a completely different experience and is actually very detrimental to the both bodies that are involved. So that's why I think this book is so critical and important right now. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. And, it, you know, it's interesting because I have never heard the term empathing before. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I always hear, you know, I, of course I knew empathy and I always heard empathizing, but oh. I had never read empathing before. And so that was actually one of the few questions I actually had. And you just answered it for me. Yeah, it's a really, was. really big difference. And it's so weird, Nick, because as a practitioner, I have seriously ran into so many people that do this really kind of flippant casual oh I'm an empath mm -hmm. and it's like oh my goodness if you really knew what you were doing you would be very careful about what it is that you're you know owning right now as a label because it's really very very dangerous in some regards and we are exhausting ourselves as a society right now we're killing ourselves by taking energy everywhere and anywhere. So this is a really big subject right now. And I think it's super timely. Yeah. Yeah. It seems that maybe some people are identifying it as empaths because it's a little trendy. Oh, it's um, trendy. <laughs> you know, but it is true. And we don't think about this often that we are surrounded by energies. We are you know, if Einstein was right, we are energetic beings. We're just really slow energy. You know, it's <laughs> everywhere. We're yes. embedded in it. And it can affect us in many ways, I think. So in the book, you listed some of the qualities of an empath. And mm -hmm. I think there were, I think you listed 18. I'm not asking you to go through all 18. I will say that I marked them off and I had 16 out of the 18. Whoa. <laughs> um, and the two remaining ones, I'm like, well, maybe. So I was curious if you could maybe discuss some of the qualities of an empath. How, how, how would someone know that they actually are and that they're not just giving into fashion? I do a class on this actual book. I just started it at the end of last year and I just did one about three weeks ago. And it's so funny because the however many people are in the room at the meet and greet start telling about themselves. And in their introduction, they're actually verbally saying the empath things they're doing and everybody in the room shaking their head, shaking their head, yeah. shaking their head. So it's really things like, First and foremost, it's exhaustion, but most empaths won't admit they're exhausted because they're too busy being, you know, the energizer bunny, right? And doing it for everybody. But it is the worrier. It is the one that takes on everybody else's stuff. It's the one that has lists and then lists for the lists. And then it's never enough hours in the day. Really big overwhelm, like when I get into crowds or I get into big spaces and places. And it's a lot of, oh my goodness, I can walk in the room and immediately know someone's sad. 
funnier ones, however, are things like I'm the one that people come up to in the grocery store, for gosh sakes, what is that about? I mean, I'm just sitting there picking some grapes and somebody comes up and tells me their entire life story. So it is just opening up to any and everything. And most of those traits have to do with people, but they also have to do with spaces. For example, back when I would have a difficult time going to like a very large concert, for example, because it's just overstimulation. So smells and sounds and too many people, it's just overwhelm. And I think this is really something that everybody does to a certain level. And we'll probably get into the kinds of empaths in a bit here, but it's, it's more and more the worry, take on everything. I feel like I have to. Empaths will use words like I should, I have to, I can't, I need to. And when we're a skilled and confident empath, we change that verbiage to, oh no, I get to because I'm choosing to. And that completely changes the energy exchange. Yeah. It, if I understand correctly, it seems like the people who are empaths, there's a lack of conscious control about it, you know, that there's a lack of skills and it's not something that's taught necessarily. No. It's rare. You know, I mean, you're doing this and you wrote a book to, to help mm -hmm. with this, mm -hmm. but it is something that I think that is, it can be very damaging Yes, because we can lose energy. We can take energy that doesn't belong to us. And yep. I totally get that overwhelmed feeling, especially in large crowds. I had this experience my brother brought his family out a few years ago and we went to Universal Studios. Mm. And at the end of the day, where everyone was kind of leaving the, the park, some of the stores were still open. And my brother and his family, they wanted to do some shopping. And I'm standing outside and you have just this swarm of people coming through. And yeah. I it just hit me and I was so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. uh, and I wish that I had a way to sort of protect myself at that time because yes. and it and it lasts and it there's like this sort of energetic hangover as well <laughs> yes that's and it's so funny because a couple of years back I was at a paranormal conference listening to some of the speakers which indeed are very educated on this subject mm -hmm. because they think it's really funny to have a paranormal investigation hangover and I'm like oh my gosh do you know how absolutely dangerous that is because you're having a paranormal hangover, good luck with that because you're probably taking somebody home, right? Yeah. I mean, this is a big deal. So yeah, we have it from people. But the reason I positioned my book the way that I did is because my skill set goes into the quantum realms and it's not just people. We can feel the land, we can feel the elements, we can feel the paranormal, we can feel everything. And so most empaths are aware and extremely overwhelmed in the people world, but they're not even aware that they're picking up all of this other stuff, which can absolutely bring you to your knees. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So yeah, and I wanted to talk about some of these things, because, you know, I've had experiences, for example, with land, I think that people in places I think that often people can pick up on some things like mm -hmm. if you go to, I don't know, Gettysburg, for example, mm -hmm. or a place where there, you know, some other place where there was a battle or a historical event. I think that you talked about in the book about going to the Bastille, Bastille. France, in France, <laughs> yeah. right? And, and here's my neck, that like energy. what the heck? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that was before I was even, that was when I was corporate. 
And mm -hmm. I mean, I've known I'm psychic and sensitive my whole life, but I was at that point in time, not really tapping in because I was doing the corporate thing. And we were all sitting there and I just kept rubbing my neck thinking, what the heck is going on in here? And then, you know, they kind of clicked in my head and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's Suzanne, stop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. Too many heads rolling in that place and everybody takes it home. And the really funny part is, is there's so many of these places like Gettysburg and and anywhere that has, it's, it can be anywhere that has this energy signature really trapped inside of it. And we go into it in a tourism sort of a way, which is wonderful to experience it. But again, if you don't have the skill set on how to release it, it's really, it's really detrimental, right? I mean, we can go home with all kinds of hitchhikers on our energy field, and it can be very dangerous. Yeah. And not just places and buildings can have this. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that I'm thinking about just from personal experience, and it's the way that I've used this language is as an instructor, as a teacher, every class has its own kind of energetic field to it. And oh, the way sure. I always explain it is that every class has its own spirit. And it's, it's their collective field. So what happens mm -hmm. is, is when we teach, which I do a ton of also, you will, you'll be able to read the room. And that's why it's so cool being an instructor, right? Because you can really work with that energy. And there is great things about empathing. Don't get me wrong. There's a beautiful energy of being the instructor that is, that is sharing that energy with the collective classroom. It's a wonderful skill. The point of the book more so is education, knowledge, wisdom, et cetera, and then a skill set to be able to discern as we move through the rest of the week or the day, geez, did I let that stuff go or not? And you know, nine out of 10, if not 12 out of 10 empaths don't even understand the concept of it. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's it. And the people thing, don't get me wrong, that's the worst because we're interacting with humans all day. Right. And so from all the way from the, you know, the person in the checkout counter to the boss and et cetera, and we take all that stuff home and then we bring it home to our kids and our husband or our wife, you know, it's, it's tough. It's transferring all day. So, yeah. How, how can someone recognize that they are doing that? Again, my very first thing that I do with a client is sit down and have what we would call an intake. And I watch them immediately. And just in the verbal conversation, I will watch what's coming out of the throat and the words of, I have to, I have to, I need to. You cannot imagine conversation. You'll, you'll notice it now because we're talking about it. And you will be absolutely blown away at how many people say, I have to go do this. I have to go do that. I have to go do this. Or I need to, or I can't, or I should. Those are really negative fuel is what we call them. Negative fuel based, you know, articulations, because that is the feeling of, ugh. I mean, just even say the words, I have to go to work and your shoulders just drop, you know? And the reality is, is you don't, you don't, you don't have to go to work. And then everyone's going to say, but, but I have to, because I have to pay my car. I have to, you know, and I come back with, yeah, but you're, you're getting to go to work because you're choosing to go to work because you're choosing the paycheck. So the very first thing I watch is the articulation. And it's so interesting because they will sit in the chair. And as these words come out of their mouth, Nick, they'll, they'll actually like, like you'll see, you'll see the in the auric field. Like it's almost like a release of, oh, I got no energy left. So, and the worrier and the one that is so concerned about everybody else. So if I have a client that is immediately talking about all the things they have to do and how much time they don't have in the day to do them. And all of them are related to something or someone else other than their self-care. Then that's a huge red flag right out of the gate. Hmm. 
Now, can it also appear in the body? Can you have a bodily reaction to negative energy or energetic blocks, something like that? Absolutely. And the chakra system is what's so incredible about being a human body. The human body is fueled by consciousness and all of the consciousness, we call it gas in this book. So your vehicle is similar to your body and like a car. Okay. Because source doesn't have a body, your vehicle of it. And then your so-called gasoline is what's coming in that chakra system. And so when you go to the gas station, you stick that little hose in and you squeeze the button that's your consciousness connection to source. But more importantly for the empath is the tank. So each chakra has an auric field that holds that frequency as an egg or an auric bubble. And these are the templates that get interfered with when we are the empath because they're broken and torn because nobody in third grade sits us down and goes, hey, third grade Nick, you've got an auric bubble that you're important to take care of. This is what keeps you aligned with your higher source energy. Nobody talks about that. So these have been ratted and torn and almost non-existent, especially in the empath. So that's the exhaustion. That is the absolute, let's like go, if you went to the gas station and you had no tank, all your gas would be on the ground and you're trying to get on the highway. You know, what's up with my car? My parts are wrecking, you know? So that's kind of the equivalent. That's how I position it in the book because it's a really easy metaphor. Mm, yeah. Well, and I think our culture tends to just deny the reality of these energy fields. Yes. And, and the chakras are so important yeah. because the chakras have different fuel and each of them do different consciousness, either healing or diseasing. And so, yes, our body breaks down with dis-ease and then we take that little dash out and it becomes mm -hmm. disease mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be a physical disease. What the empath is usually challenged with is a lot of fatigue, obviously, but more so it's the mental rumination and, oh my gosh, I got to go and do this and this and this and this, that kind of a thing. And then the emotional exhaustion and really, really confusion. And so the body will dis-ease very rapidly for that. And I oftentimes come into really, you know, dangerous things in terms of our guts, our heart, our heart takes such a hit when we're an empath, because we think we're doing this out of love, which indeed we are to some extent, but it's a conditionalized love, not an unconditional love. And that's what takes a toll on all of the heart chakra. Hmm. Yeah. And I liked in the book, you talked about cords that we develop these cords to think, and I've had that experience where I have connections to people in my mm -hmm. life. And even if we were separated for thousands of miles, we kind of yep. know what's going on. And it's not just with people, but with places as well. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure I have a pretty significant cord going on with the state of Colorado. Yeah. Um, always have been. But it's interesting because sometimes I think don't most people don't even acknowledge these, or maybe it's that they don't understand mm -hmm. the chords and the connections and the feelings. How do you determine, and I know you address this in the book, but how do you determine if it's yours? There is a whole entire chapter that moves you into the discernment process. Mm -hmm. And the very first most critical step is where the book starts out shedding what you've been taught in your belief system, because this is the infrastructure or the underground of what's pushing you into that feeling of I have to, I have to, I have to. So that's number one. Number two, it moves into a lot of 
the actual auric field is that gas tank, that bubble is really, really critical. And once we start to get a skill set on that, we can start to discern. When we're starting to discern, we're starting to feel an energy. The immediate thing is, is this mine or isn't this mine? And no one asks the questions. Right. And it's so amazing because our bodies are a beautiful organism of truth. And I will know if it's mine if I really dive into the questions. And I love when I have clients because they're like, well, I don't know if it's mine. And then I'll do a little exercise with them and immediately they'll know if it's theirs or not. It's just inherent inside of us, but no one asks the questions. So is this mine? Is this mine at this age? Is this mine at a young age, et cetera, et cetera. So you whittle things down and you can start to get a better feeling on things. But is this mine is very critical. So it, it is really being in command of it. Those chords can be beautiful and wonderful. Love chords are lovely and they are fun and they're filling for both with no condition attached. Detrimental chords are a sucking. They are sucking that energy from you emotionally or mentally and oftentimes physically and sometimes even spiritually, you know, breaking your spirit, et cetera. But these are, you know, difficult because if you have a Colorado one, it could quite certainly be from a past life as well. And if you've never done the work to cut that cord and start to discern, gee, is this Nick's life now that I am attracted to Colorado or do I have a karmic tie to that, et cetera. So again, questions, 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 yeah. and then cutting if it's appropriate. Yeah. Well, it's, I, I, for Colorado, I just consider it home. I lived there yeah. for a long time and my best friends all live there and there's something about the land. I was just going to say for you, if I can, if I may, if for you, it's the land, it's the mountains, it's the actual energy of the rock. It's that whole infrastructure out there is a really grounding mechanism for you. Yeah. And it really changes your whole mid body. When I even say it to you, you just shifted in the middle of your body, like, oh, which is heart space yeah. and nothing yeah. is more beautiful than that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Well, and it's just forgive my personal examples, but the last time I was in Colorado when I was driving home, I drove for too long. I tend to meander. I never take, <laughs> you know, I, I don't like the freeways, you know, A to B. You know, I like right. to get off the beaten path. And so it takes me, it should be an 18 hour trip, you know, about three days. So I drove too long and I developed this pain in my back, my back shoulder and kind of down my arm. And I knew it was just from the driving. But I mentioned this because, and I think this is how energy can work, perhaps. As an example, I was up for a position that would have taken me back to Denver. Mm -hmm. And I was a finalist and I didn't get it. Mm -hmm. Two days later, this pain in my back flares up in my arm. And I made the connection that, aha, there's an energetic connection to what's going on because I was able to pay attention, but I right. wonder how many of us will experience these sorts of pains that have that kind of energetic Hi. foundation to it. Yep. And, and they don't, most people don't actually own the fact that the body is speaking to them yeah. because it's not something we're taught unless we get into this world. Right. And oftentimes when we have that pain, especially with my right hand, this is metaphoric or symbolic of me driving my life, driving, not just driving my car, it's driving my life. So, you know, fear filled in terms of, I need that job. I need that job. I want that job. Instead of leaning back and just going, I'm on cruise control with my higher self. And if I'm supposed to get it, divine will align it. Yeah, yeah. So those are important things to understand too. And quite possibly 
There even can be, and this has happened in many clients, there even can be a past life situation that you're triggering from being in Colorado from another life, another timeline, and there was a wound or something that happened in that part of the body and you're just bringing it up like a file. And we will have that happen a lot of times. I find myself healing people that go to a past life regressionist that doesn't do their job quite well enough mm. because they'll activate that file without cutting everything. Mm. And it's important for us to do past life regressions with a PDF situation, meaning read only, no editing, no bringing it in because we can bring that wound right back. So these are all really interesting things when we start to get into this world of energy. Yeah. yeah. And there's, so there are, energies from past lives and i'm on board with reincarnation i think there's really yep. compelling evidence for it and we have energetic connections with friends family members co-workers but even strangers you know the people mm -hmm. that we're surrounded with energies with land energies with buildings energies with places one of the other sort of energetic i'm not sure fields, I'll just say an energetic field that you talk about is also, I think with the larger energy of a population and with yeah. events. So for example, you gave the example of 9-11. Mm -hmm. And I, I wanted to ask you about that because that's something that I also noticed. And there's, I forget what it's called. I have it written down here, the conscious global consciousness project. Mm -hmm. uh, where they have all these random number generators that it, there was a spike before 9-11 happened. So the way it's, that's interpreted has been that there's something within the energy field that knows something's going to happen before it yeah. happens. Yeah. And, and so I wanted to ask about kind of that, you know, the, the collective empathing, I think is what you called it. Right. Uh, both before and after. So we're all individualized vehicles of source, right? I mean, we have our purpose as an individual with our own, what we call book of life or Akashic record. We come in with our, what we would call lessons, even though that's not my preferred word. And I think opportunities is better, but we come in with whatever our individualized soul is going to encounter and nothing is set in stone. It's all flexible due to free will. But this is the individual. Now, collectively, we all come from source energy. So not only does my field work for the Suzanne or the Nick container, but I go into what's called the collective field of humanity itself, meaning whatever I put into that is resonating as a giant pool that is creating our reality. And these are extremely difficult things to understand if you don't have even an inkling of this as a thing. But it can be really detrimental and it can be very beautiful, meaning when we are triggered and programmed by controller agendas, right, we will, we will feed into that programming and fear is the biggest feeder. And people don't understand the laws of the universe. These are actual energetic structure laws that are very, very real. And one of them is basically the law of attraction or cause and effect. So the law of attraction is kind of a spin-off of it, but the law of attraction means anything I really, really want, I'm creating and I get. Anything I really, really don't want, I'm creating and I get, and sometimes even more. So when we are not wanting more, I don't want more. I don't want to see that happen. I don't want to see that happen. You're actually telling the universe, I'm going to see that happen again. And so when we become really self-responsible 
in our spiritual journeys, we understand the responsibility of being a collective. We understand it is my job to go into the collective and change those scales of so-called justice. You know how they weigh on the justice card. And it's, it's, oh my gosh, instead of complaining and being fear about everything that's scary, my job is to pump in what is wonderful and beautiful so that that collective has an opportunity to hold that frequency and vibration so more like can find like for that. Mm. And that is not how our universe works right now. It's usually the other way. And when people finally click on this, they become very powerful in terms of their individualized manifestation, and they become very aware on the collective field. It's fascinating. And Mm -hmm. we should be very, very wise about this because it is real. It is real. Yeah, no, I agree. I've been on this sort of energetic journey for the past several years, I think. And there was a lot of, you know, I've been in my head and you talk about that, that we tend to think, right? <laughs> yeah. Getting um, that sacral chakra. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, we think, feel, we think, feel, and yes. we need to feel, feel. Right. But I, I know that there was a lot of time where friend and I, we would call it the fear with the capital F just because of everything that was going on around us. And uh, still and- is. <laughs> Yeah. 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 I think I'm a little bit better now at turning it off. Good. Um, You know, because uh, once you get really good, Nick, it actually becomes funny. And I don't mean that in a, in a smart aleck way, it becomes almost humorous to see the programming. It is so utterly exacerbated and out of control. You're just, you just tend to go, Oh my gosh, here we go again. You know? And we have a joke amongst a couple of soul sisters that I have. It's like pass the popcorn because here we go again. It's just like sitting back and watching a dumb movie, right? Mm -hmm. So these are really critical things for us to think through, however, because if we're not being in that moment of going, that does not resonate as my truth, I'm just filling that collective container again. And the more that there's fear, that's all that's going to be in there. And this is what the controller negative agenda has done such a great job at for eons and eons, but specifically in the last couple of years, because people are waking up, they're starting to go, you know what, that is not my truth. And so this chaos that we're seeing in the world right now that everybody is so upset and angry about when you're a practitioner from the quantum world, you're like, yes, not that I'm agreeing with some of the ways that people choose to do their so-called speaking out or standing up. Mm. But the point is, is that they're checking in and they're saying, this is not what I believe any longer. And they're having the courage to move into something to change the energy. And this is really vital for our whole entire existence right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I you know, I've spoken with several people that talk about how we have incarnated right now there's work to do and Mm -hmm. we can see you know and i think that we're in for a world of suffering that's coming our way but it doesn't have to be that way there 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 we have a lot of healing to do and i think that that's the primary work is healing and so anyone who's engaged in healing work i applaud them it, and, and it's not easy work, you know, yeah. I met up with some corporate friends a couple of years after I was gone and they're like, oh, it must be so great just being Zen all day. And I'm like, are you kidding? This work is 10 times harder than the corporate world because you're going deep. And I think suffering is part of it, but I don't think suffering is really 
I guess I have a little tough time with that because it is an opportunity. When we go through dark nights of the soul, when we are struggling, these are the processes of putting, peeling back the onion layers. It's, it's an important step in the process. But if we believe in that crucifixion implant kind of suffering, meaning, oh, hang me on the tree and everything has to be hard for me to get to that wonderful place, then we are part of that program again. Mm -hmm. And so pain and suffering gets to be here. And this is so hard for people. When I say it gets to be here, people get to be sick. They get to be miserable or anxious or anything. They get to do whatever they choose to do per whatever that soul contract is aligning them with. And for us to just step back out of judgment and control is really hard. And this is what the empath does. Mm. The empath wants to make it easy for their kid. We want to make sure that person is not sick. Maybe they came here to be sick. And this is part of their soul process. And these are really hard reversals in the thought pattern and the belief system for the empath when they're starting out. Yeah. Yeah. Now I, I look at the suffering in the sense of a wounding and that where our wound is, is our, is where our gift is. Yeah. It's the light at the end of the tunnel, right? Yeah. 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 And it's okay. You know, we're in a dualistic reality. This is another universal law that is so important for people to understand our, our structure, our energetic holographic structure in this universe 12 is about duality. And if we don't have a this and a that, we're not balanced. That's yeah. the whole point. And so I do get to have pain and I get to have joy. This is important for us to understand what we would like to get across here in terms of the energetic world is find the harmony mm. and don't fear everything because then you are swinging again, those scales into just fear, 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 and you forget about the joy and the bliss, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like that word harmony. Yeah. Like a, we often learn to sing together. <laughs> well, and you know, we've created this mess. The human experience has allowed so many things to happen. We're talking like all the way back pre-Sumerian time. We made conscious free will choices to shut things off and allow ourselves to become very patriarchally controlled. And it, this is why some people you referred to are on the planet right now. Some of the people on this planet right now are coming from other spaces and places and timelines specifically to wake up and wake people up. And that's their job. Not everybody on the planet is doing that. And that doesn't make someone better or worse. There's not a validation here. There's not like, oh, I'm, you know, this wonderful star seed that's waking everybody up. You know, it's just as difficult for that star seed, if not even harder sometimes. And so oftentimes we are having what we would actually literally call a mission. We came here on mission because we were part of that structure in timelines way long ago to set this up in terms of almost a fail. And now we're coming back to redeem it. And this is really important for us to understand. Yeah. Well, you know, from a reincarnation aspect, I see that we are those people and, you know, we are our own ancestors and we are the ancestors of those who are coming. Again. Yes, we are our past life. Isn't that awesome to think about that? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I love that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. So you've mentioned the law of attraction a couple of times, and let's talk about that a little bit. That's something that I used to kind of struggle with a little bit, but the more I am thinking about it and the more people I talk to and guests that I've had on that address this, the more I 
am coming to understand that there's something very critical there. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems like a lot of what happens is, again, our thoughts that, yes. that we convince ourselves that it can't be true. Or that it's going to be true when it doesn't uh, necessarily going to be true. So the way that the source energy, and this is take what resonates, toss the rest, but the way that source energy fractals, the very first fractalization of source goes into the Trinity and the Trinity energetically is the father, God, the mother, God, and the child, God. And in our religion, we always have father, son, and Holy ghost or whatever you grew up with. Right. But technically speaking, the father, God is the thought vibrational frequency, and it's the positive. The mother God is the emotional frequency and it's the negative. And that doesn't be bad negative. It's like a battery. The child God is the action and that is the neutral, the zero. And so when we put this trinitization together, it's like a battery, we move the energy and we continue to fractal. What has happened in our structure again, holographically was the mother God got taken out of the quotient for many eons because then the father God was the thought. We were told what to think. And the child God told us how to act. Thought, act, thought, act. But when we come back now and incorporate the mother God, which is back in force, meaning that mother earth, mother God, which is that emotional center. When we activate the feel centers in our chakra, which is in our belly, where we know the feels and not just the top ones. Oh, I'm angry. No, you feel wrecked, abandoned alone, isolated, get down to the real feels. Then we start to own our frequency of, okay, you're telling me this, but my body is not reacting the way that you're telling me I should act. So I take pause, I go to neutral before I actually engage in that. And so these are really, I think, processes that we can start to incorporate into our life instead of just having that knee-jerk reaction. And when we have a thought, it goes in a vertical kind of a situation. When we have an emotion, it goes into, I'm sorry, horizontal. And then emotion is vertical. And if I have another thought, another thought, another emotion, and another emotion, this is what starts to create that holographic grid that brings in potentiality, okay? So this is how the law of attraction works. I start to pour into the grid or the blueprint potentialities. And this is what the empath will do. I'll give you a perfect example. When my kid was, I have four children, my oldest would go back to college in the middle of a snowstorm and drive four hours at 1130 at night after a holiday and everybody would erupt. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. You're going to die. Oh my gosh. You can't do that. And he's like, whatever. And he'd leave. And they're all on my face going, Suzanne, he's going to die. He's going to, oh my God, that's so dangerous. What if he ends up this? What if he ends up that? And I would go, stop. I said, stop. All you're putting into that matrix, that grid of potentiality is a law pushing the attraction towards him having something wrong. I don't parent like that. I already see him home, texting, calling, saying everything's fine. And if he ends up in the ditch, it's because his higher self is supposed to end up in the ditch. And I will deal with that when it happens. So what the empath's worry process does not understand is they're filling that grid pattern to push potentiality. So let me clarify at the end though. Does that mean I can worry my kid into the ditch? No. Does that mean I put in more potentialities that he will find the ditch? Yes. Mm. Do you see the difference? Sure. So these yeah. are strong, strong skill sets that it is important to cultivate because when I have the freedom 
to sit in my house and go, he'll be fine. Four hours later, I'll wait for the phone call. I'm not going to stress for four hours on my body, right? That's what the difference is, if that makes some tangible sense for you. Yeah. Well, worry is kind of pointless, I think. Oh my gosh, right? (laughs) And it is classic for the empath. Yeah. Oh yeah. Classic. Yeah. No, I worry all the time and I'm trying not to. (laughs) Because I'm recognizing that it's pointless and that so much of, you know, because I like how you described it, you know, there's the thought, but then there's the emotion and the vibration as well. And I think the worry and fear and some of these sort of primal, you know, they have their place for sure, but it seems like they affect the, they, they affect the whole system you know, they affect the entire hologram, right? I don't know how, and I'm not, you know, judging your comment there, but I don't know where it has its place because when somebody starts to understand each individual down here on this path has their higher self in charge, if we want to say that Mm. their God source self in charge of watching and creating, and we do have free will, this will navigate through it. But if I worry it, I'm co-creating a path that doesn't necessarily even mm. exist. Right, right. So it, it doesn't behoove anything. When we get back to the word honor is one of my biggest, biggest words in both books that I wrote. Honor is so important for me in terms of I honor the fact that you will end up in the ditch if you're supposed to. So I step back, mm. right? I just step back. And so I, yeah, worry is just a rumination in the mental field, which then affects the physical field, which totally overrides the emotional field. It's just a mess, right? Yeah. 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 And beliefs play a part too, right? Huge, huge. And most of us, you know, we start our beliefs in utero, by the way, we're hearing and we're sensing everything along the way. And I do a lot of in utero work with people too, to break that belief pattern, because we're already hearing everyone's else's version of us safe or enough and worth it's programmed into us from day one Mm. and it's terrifying what we believe until we start to actually look at it and break it apart you know most people don't take that quiet time because they don't know what to do Mm. or how to do that now the dudes that come forward i love you know i can't meditate i don't know what to do well just spend some time with your belief systems and it's going to be really enlightening right because most of them are programmed yeah yeah. 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 My background in philosophy, you know, there's that tendency, you know, question it all, question the beliefs. It's and, great. Yeah. And so many people, I feel we don't, I think in large part because of fear. And I, I, you know, one of the things that interested me was I'll give you a couple of examples in terms of the power of belief was I remember many, many years ago when I read Yogananda's autobiography of a yogi. Mm -hmm. He would talk about, you know, that he needed something and, you know, like food and he didn't worry about where the next dinner was going to come from. Mm -hmm. He just had that faith and the belief that he would be provided for. And lo and behold, it did. And I have a friend who is deeply Christian and does the same thing. Yeah. God will provide. And, you know, it's the thinking person to me. It's like, no belief can't make that happen. What are you talking about? But now I'm the, where I'm at the place where I'm like, well, maybe it does try it and, and, and see what happens. Think about that belief. Think about that belief grid again. If I have a thought yeah. and an emotion, everything's crisscrossing, crisscrossing. And it's, and it's actually creating what we would call a holographic net 
so that the energies of that thought comes to manifestation. We need a blueprint in anything we do energetically. And we're not taught this. Everything right. about us in our auric fields holds blueprint instruction sets. And then it connects with our DNA. And then it connects with our actions and our thoughts and our emotions. And we create every moment of our day. And we choose every moment of our day, even though many, many empaths think that they're victimized. This is a huge piece of victimization is in the empath going, oh my God, I have to do everything because nobody else mm -hmm. can do it. And then resentment, and then it gets pity and sympathy and all that yeah. stuff gets messy. So when we step back and we just realize we're creating that blueprint, I am the instruction set. Nothing is happening to me that I'm not totally in on, then that's a big responsibility to change or not, right? Yeah. And you wrote about sympathy and that also resonated with me. I think so much of this does require that sort of self-examination because yeah. often this is unconscious and we don't even recognize that this is what we're doing. Yes. And, you know, my example is, you know, I mentioned that I was a finalist for this position in, in Denver and I didn't get it. And I remember calling one of my friends and, you know, saying, well, I didn't get the job. And the first thing, she, oh, I'm so sorry. And, <laughs> and I would have said, I would have said, you weren't supposed to. <laughs> yeah. Well, and what got me was I've noticed this tendency over the years that that would happen a lot. And yeah. I found that I was feeding on that energy. Yeah. And I think that's something that happens with sympathy is that we feed on that energy. And what I told her was, I don't want the sympathy. Yes. I, that's not what I want. I don't want to feed on that anymore. I'm so impressed how much you've done. I mean, you've done, see, and this is the beauty of it, Nick. We have this inherently inside of us if we would just do the work, right? Yeah. I mean, my book is purposefully going to ignite people to remember what they know. Yeah. This isn't rocket science new stuff. This is stored within our own files of information from eons of being whatever we've been. And we know this stuff when we first and foremost activate the feel center to go, hey, that feels right. But if we don't activate those, it's just more rhetoric in our head, blah, 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 you know? So yeah. Yeah. information can be really destructive to us because we can make information really veer us off course, but information coupled with feel is powerful, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just tricky because like you said before, there's there hasn't been much in terms of guidance and you kind of yeah. have to fill your way through. Is that what you did as you were exploring all this, just kind of filling your way through? Oh my gosh. Are you kidding? But I, I, okay. So I was super psychic when I was a kid and could see everything and knew, you know, the whole nine yards and knew I was on a mission and all that stuff up until about eight to 10 years old. And then I was starting to realize no one else saw what I saw or knew what I knew. And I'm like, Oh, what's going on there. And then as I got into that middle school age, I sort of tampered everything and pretty much shut it down during that, you know, high school period. I was very intuitive, but I and used my field centers, but not fully psychic. Kind of put that all away. And then it came back with a vengeance in my 30s. Like, I mean, boom, that fast. And so I I was realizing though that I went through all of my corporate years using all of my psychic skills, but they were kind of disguised, disguised in a 3D corporate way. Like I would telepathically be telling my staff to bring files that didn't make sense to the meeting and they would. I mean, stuff like that was really crazy for me. And I would design huge international trade shows in my dream space and wake up because I could holographically see everything. And then it was just done in like, you know, one night. 
So I was using my skill set, but I was also not understanding empathing at all. And I used to think it was really amazing that I was kind of the boss of the show floor, yet I flew under the radar kind of stealth. No one knew who I actually was because I let my staff, you know, be the faces so I could walk through and get the truth, blah, blah. But I would walk through a show floor packed and no one was ever in my way. And I was always like, this is so weird. I mean, same thing with the airport. Like no one bumps into me. There's nothing in my way. This is so bizarre and amazing. Well, I didn't understand. My field was like, oh. <laughs> I, was just, I was just on task with like barreling everybody out of the way and sucking them all dry. And everybody was just like dying. And I didn't have any clue. I just didn't have any clue because I just thought that's what you did. So mm. I learned the hard way. And then I learned very quickly when I became really tapped in again and started to work with clients because I would get exhausted. And then I started to study and really do the inner work. And I get seriously guided myself from higher self. And they're like, you need to change this up. So it came very quickly online to go, oh, this is not conducive to your health. (laughs) Right. So, and now I'm very picky. You know, I Oftentimes I won't go to a concert. I won't go, gosh, forbid the state fair, you know, here in Minnesota is gigantic and it just makes me, you know, cringe. And so I'm very protective of my space. And yet I can extend my auric bubble so gigantic that I can feel things, you know, halfway across the country. I mean, I can work on people anywhere in the world because I can tap in. So there's gifts Mm. that are beautiful with empathy, beautiful, but it's just the wisdom behind it. Yeah. Yeah. Now with the auric field, I know that some people claim that they can see auras. Is it also something that you can just feel? Yes. So I do a lot of instructing and teaching in very many venues and it's fun to play body scanning at these events Mm -hmm. so that you have a partner and one is, you know, scanning and one is a scanner and we can like work on the body. You don't touch the body, you work around the body and you can absolutely know everything from feel. And you can also do it from sight. I I can see auras. I can mostly see them in my mind's eye, meeting with my eyes closed. I've been able to see auras for a really long time. I'm a full um, semi-medical empath, meaning I can go into your body and see your parts, uh, you know, the parts of your body that we're working with also. And I also use sacred geometry for my work. So I can see the geometrics. I can move things with the geometrics and those are all in mind's eyesight. But sometimes I see them out with my eyeballs open where I can see the geometrics and the wave patterns, especially plasma wave patterns. So all of those skills will get activated the more work you do on yourself, but it's important to ask. Mm. This is what people don't understand about psychic training. It's important for you to ask your guides, your higher self, your guidance, your angels, whatever you choose to believe in, to assist you in waking these things up. And it's Mm. practice. It's work. It's Mm. work. I mean, I spent days and days and weeks down at the uh, nature center scanning trees so that I could see the fields. I Mm. mean, it just doesn't necessarily be, oh, I got everything. Some people do, but I mean, I had work. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think there's a common belief that you're just like born with it. And it's just this gift that kind of comes through and that you don't have to work at it. You're all born with it. You're all born with it. Trust me. And then some can do it easier and better and quicker. And it isn't value system again on the better, but we also can all sing. And I don't know about you, but I won't sing out anywhere in public, even karaoke, because (laughs) there's no business that Suzanne should be singing. 
So we can all sing, but we don't all sing. So we all have psychic gifts, but we don't all have psychic gifts. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, but there are things that can be honed. Oh yeah. Through practice, right? Yes. Practice. And, and when I teach, it's it's fun. If we don't do this with a funness, mm -hmm. it gets to be self-judging. It gets to be, I'm a fail. Right. And oftentimes in these classes, I will watch people get super frustrated and then they'll get envious because that person can do this and I can't. Yeah. So we're doing a lot of positioning and jogging for, gosh, they're better than I am. And that is simply not true because maybe you can see inner sight fantastically and he or she can see outer sight fantastically right. or they feel. So we all have capabilities and it's just being able to do the work. And mm -hmm. so many of my, um, I have an online community called Vibe Tribe. And it's a wonderful community that we teach and we have this group and every month they get a, you know, energy report and we have a webcast and we do so much training. These people have gone from zero to God knows what in their psychic skills because they're putting in the time every month, right? They're doing yeah. the work. It's just like anything else. If you don't study, you're not going to pass the test, right? Right. And again, I think, you know, sometimes people just don't know, you know, these things might happen. They may have these experiences and yeah. just don't know. Just don't and know. I love the people that don't believe anything and they come to an event. I do a paranormal event that's super fun. And I love when I get a skeptic. It's one of my favorite things. Yeah, bring it on. I, I'll take the skeptic because I will never push you to believe what I believe because you right. get to choose. But when we give the information and they start to process that this isn't woo-woo, this is actually just energy. Right. And when we start to understand everything is just energy it starts to open the mind and the heart and the body more. And these people inevitably will go home having serious paranormal experiences right. or activating their psychic senses beyond anything they had imagined. And it's always a win. It's so much fun. Yeah. It's just great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and like you said before, and you wrote in the book, you know, we're just not used to that feeling aspect of things. No, know? think feel is a lot safer or so people yeah. think. Right. And it really isn't because our, our gift on this planet our human species, the blueprint of what we are is the most unique out of all the civilizations that we're aware of when we do galactic work. Meaning you can't take my feel. You can program my think in two seconds. You can program my think and tell me my action and I can be a little soldier for whatever you pump into that thing. But there's no way that we can program a feel unless it went through the think, mm. okay? So the feel, being a sentient being is so critical. And I have an 89-year-old mother who's reading my book right now. She's so cute. She's one of my biggest cheerleaders for classes, et cetera. And she says, Suzanne, I'm only a little bit in, but you keep saying this word. I don't know what this word is. And I'm like, what word? And she goes, this sentient. What is this sentient? And I'm like, oh my gosh, mom, that's the beauty of being a human, right? We can feel, we can connect. That's the oneness. That's the biggest law of the universe is the law of one. And she's like, oh, you know, yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, yeah. And yeah, this is something that I've personally also been working through. And it's a lesson that I learned fairly recently that to make that journey from the head to the heart. Yes. And a very wise person commented that that's the longest journey that any of us can take. It's really hard. And again, yeah. I will go back to the collective field. The hard part too, Nick, is that we can do some really awesome work. And then we can get challenged with a year like 2020. 
And we think that we're in hard space and our head can get completely taken over with the media programming in two seconds. Mm. Because if we're not doing that constant discernment process, we'll start watching media and the new mainstream news and everything under the sun instead of checking in and mm. saying, no, this is fine. I'll be okay. You know, I mean, remember how silly toilet paper got. Oh my gosh, we're going to hoard toilet paper. How silly is that whole entire thing? And yet two days into this thing, we were all programmed and running to the store and clearing off the shelves because this is a program of not enough. So another trinity that we work with in the energy field that aligns with that first God source trinity is safe, self-worth and love and enough. And that trinity of destructive patterns that are embedded in our DNA when we come into this human experience will always trigger mind control programming in two seconds. Because if I'm told I'm not safe or if I'm told I'm not enough, then I have no self-love and worth. And it winds into the middle. And it's really, really important for us to understand, oh, this is a program. I can go back and really break this down. And I can say, no, even if I don't have toilet paper, I'm safe. <laughs> I mean, yeah. come on. Yeah. Even if I don't have toilet paper, I'm enough. You know, So yeah. it's, it's amazing when you do the work. Yeah. Well, as you were speaking, what came to mind is perhaps with the toilet paper, we should have looked at that as being symbolic that there was something going on with that root chakra. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Right? Yeah. yeah. And the safe connection, you know, this root chakra has been so messy since day one, because the root chakra is what connects us to the planetary existence, which is our guardianship. We yeah. guardian this planet and we haven't done a very good job. Yeah. And we're told if we're safe means I have money, I have a job, I have 401k, I have a house, I have a partner. And all of that is disposable, right? Yeah. Or expendable. It can go in a heartbeat. Trust mm -hmm. me, I know. And mm -hmm. when I finally realized, no, I'm safe because I exist. Mm -hmm. I'm a creator. Then everything changes. Yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine once commented that security is an illusion. Oh my gosh, security is a jail cell. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, truly to me, because it is our situation and I won't go into that whole spiel, but you know, when I chose to jump from corporate into this full-time, we were two full-time executives, four kids, two mortgages, thinking we had it all of that and the 401ks and the investments. And, and I left my job. My husband got let go from his corporate job four months later, and we were standing in the food shelf line going, what just happened to our entire existence? And within one year, everything was gone. It was just insane. That was the best dark night of the soul I ever could have done because when I kept checking and checking in, they're like, no, you stick with your work. You stick with your work. And I kept going, no. And I was screaming up to the heavens going, you've taken everything. And that's when the victim program was like, who are you talking to up there, Suzanne? Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, so it was it was a really great hard lesson. Really great. Yeah. But it seems to me that so many of us have this, you know, there are these feelings of like isolation and fear and lack and whatnot. But yet, and I think that so many people know they feel and they know what they want to do and what they ought to do. Mm -hmm. but yet we do imprison ourselves yes. through a variety of ways. And it makes me wonder what kind of world we could have if people could actually tap into their creative powers and authenticity. 
Right. Well, first, everything has to fall to pieces, which was what we're witnessing right now. Right, right. And so when we talk about the ascension process of going from what we consider a 3D existence to a four and five, that is what's happening. And until that patriarchal boxes that keep us so controlled start to break, you know, we have to see this if we choose to as a great thing. But so many people see it as mayhem and chaos. And so it's important for us to understand there has to be a process. We built the walls. We got to break the walls down. So this is personal choice again to have a perspective. Mostly what it does, however, you hit on what it is. But in the book, I have a whole section on it's called poverty consciousness. Mm. It's a consciousness of being poverty ridden. And what poverty consciousness does is it absolutely pushes us and manipulates us and controls us into thinking that we need stuff and money. And this is the root chakra situation. When we realize that is an underlying program of not enough. And when I think there's not enough, I will continue law of attraction wise to bring in not enough, right? So when I change that perspective and paradigm, I start to go, oh, but underneath not enough, what we need to understand if we choose is I'm not enough. Mm. And that's the one where you go, of course, I'm enough. I'm a vehicle of source down here having an experience on behalf of the God package because that doesn't have a body, period. That's what I'm yeah. doing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yep, I feel that one. So I kind of want to jump back a little bit. We've been talking about empaths and a lot of other things, but you had mentioned that there are different kinds of empaths. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if maybe you could discuss that a little bit. What, what are some of the kinds of empaths? Yeah, there's three. Thanks for having us clarify. There's three kinds of empaths. So the first one is called a general empath, which indeed every human on this planet is to some extent, meaning I can feel, right? I can feel. Now, the awareness of if I'm feeling or taking on this stuff, I may or may not have. But generally speaking, we are taking on information because that's how the body is designed. Most general empaths will have like a conflict or walk into something or through something. And by the end of the day, or maybe two days, maybe even a week, they're shedding it just because they're not feeding it and owning it. Okay. So the general empath will move through fairly quickly. That's about everyone on this planet. Step two, when we bump it up a little bit is what's called the sensitive empath. So the sensitive empath is really starting to be fully aware that, oh my gosh, I can feel that person's pain. Oh my gosh, I can feel this is claustrophobic in here. Oh my gosh, and on and on. So their sensitivities are heightened. And these are the ones that are mostly the people that are out there right now being exhausted and stealing energy from everywhere and anything, because that's the basic amount of people are doing the sensitive over on overdrive. The third category jumps up even higher, meaning I'm now a sensitive psychic empath. So I have those high sensitivities, but when I jump into psychic, I open up my sixth senses and beyond. So now I'm having the abilities to really take it from the quantum field or from that collective field or all kinds of different places that are really more high vibrational frequencies that I wouldn't really have coming into my field unless I had activated those psychic senses. So that's kind of the three categories. The one basic one in the middle is the majority of clients that I see. Hmm. Okay. Would you say that they are, they come to see you because they are that middle, that sensitive empath that they have a general understanding 
No, they come to me because they're exhausted and they're sick and they can't figure out why their body hurts and I have pain and I am always tired and I can't get anything done and I can't Mm -hmm. stand my mother or my children and lots of family fighting and lots of interactions. I've lost my job. We've lost everything. I mean, it's across the board. Most of the people when they're new clients for me don't even know the word empath. And then other ones come in going, I'm an empath, saying that they love that. And this is so cool. So I get both. But the majority are the ones that aren't necessarily aware of what's happening to their body. And they're just plain tired and sick. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of people are getting sick right now. A lot right, of people right. are sick. Yeah. Well, I guess I was kind of curious, you know, that there was something that led them to you and to energy work and energy healing yeah. rather than just going to the doctor. Yeah, <laughs> you know, maybe they did go to the doctor, but they also sought out this other kind of healing. So it seems right. like there's something in them. There is a intuition, at and, least. And the and the the sensitive empath is usually on the brink when they're really into it. They're usually on the brink of activating the psychic centers. Okay, uh-huh. so it's kind of haunting them. Or they had been a really psychic child, and they've like completely shut that down and stuffed it. And it's coming back to haunt them. The beauty about God's source in the universe is it's pushing everybody on this planet to wake up if you are in alignment to wake up. And again, I'm going to say not everyone on this planet will wake up because they are not all here to wake up. And that's okay. So there isn't a value system to that. If I'm awake and my family isn't, we have no right to judge that because maybe their soul contract has them doing something else right here, right now. And so not everyone is necessarily going to be activated in their DNA processes. So does that sound as scary as it sounds? No. I mean, or is that as scary as it sounds? No. When I die and leave this planet in my bodily form, I will go back to my higher soul self and I will still be just as so-called able to do what I need to do on the other side of the veil as the so-called psychic sensitive empath over here that's doing the work, right? So, you know, a lot of people freaked out for a while in there when the new age community was talking all about ascension. And if you don't push yourself into 5D and your family's 3D, don't talk to them. I mean, that's ridiculous, right? I mean, that's ridiculous. So, yeah, well, you bring up something that I think it's a similar term because what you just said seems to be grounded in compassion. Yeah. And that was one of the questions I had, because I've often just considered compassion and empathy to be synonymous, that they're the same Mm. thing. But you see, there's a difference, right? Yeah. And and compassion is that heart space. Empathy is, so let's do chakras. Empathy really is residing more, empathing and empathy is residing more in your sacral chakra, in your belly, in your feel centers, and a little bit into that solar plexus where your head and your ego starting to play the mental field. The compassion comes from the heart chakra and oftentimes ekes up into the throat chakra. So this is where I hold my space. But why this is so important is because if I'm holding compassion for you, if I'm doing it unconditionally, I'm not putting a spin on it where the empath puts the spin. I'm not going to put a spin on my compassion, meaning I'm going to do this for you and I want feedback or I want validation or I'm not going to judge the way that it should be. For example oh my goodness, she's sick and she's dying and she won't get to get married and she won't have children. I come back with, but her soul contract didn't sign up for married and children or she would be having that journey. And oftentimes in the past, I was chastised for that kind of an insight because they thought I didn't have compassion. 
And what I thought was so amazing is, is I'm like, no, no, no. I honor the soul contract with compassion, trying not to change them to my so-called version of what I want them to be, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a tough one. And I go into that in my other book on the healer, the healing and dying book, because the death process can be one of those things where our compassion actually turns into conditionalized love and judgment. Mm -hmm. That's a tough yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, the way I kind of think about that is something I learned from someone else. And it's not necessarily the language of soul contracts, but it is that having is evidence of wanting that yeah. whatever we have in our lives, even though like if you say someone's single and what they really, really want is to be with someone to find that you know special partner, but they can't, they don't. And it's always, well, why is this happening? Why is this happening? And I'm like, well, maybe it's because you say that that's what you want, but maybe there's a part of you that doesn't want it. Because the belief system is, is derailing it. So yeah. I would, I would, in my world, I replace the word want with choose. If you don't have it, you didn't choose it. You right. absolutely didn't choose it either from this free will perspective or you didn't choose it here. Mm -hmm. Because I do have clients that articulate, oh, I want to find a partner or, or I want mm -hmm. this. And I say, maybe in this lifetime, that is actually not what you signed up for. So right. the choice actually can come from a higher perspective as well. So wanting is one of those in-between words for me that kind of waffles. Because when we use the word, I get to, I get mm. to go find that partner. That's super strong. But when I say the word I choose, it's full power on as yeah. all about me. And I get to own all the consequences that come with my choices. So words are very important right now in terms of the articulation of the frequency and the vibration of what I truly am creating. And that's another thing that is blowing up for us right now, you know, you're this, and this is my truth, and you're not right, and I'm right, and all that silliness. Again, it's about honoring someone else's perspective. Right, right. Well, and personally, I like the idea of choice. It speaks to the old existentialist in me, that it's all about choice. It is about choice, and we choose it every day, every second. You chose what to wear. You chose you know, to brush your teeth or not. You chose every second of every day, and we cannot get our heads around that sometimes, Yeah. right? yeah. Well, and you know, the, the existentialist philosophers, what they say is that when we deny that we have a choice, that's when we're living in bad faith. Yeah, that's beautiful. I like that. Yeah, yeah. And it seems to connect very well to the, the conversation and the ideas that we have yeah. here. So I have a, a few other things I want to bring up and ask you about before we run out of time. And one is I want to ask you about my favorite vampire. Colin Robinson. I don't know if you ever have seen the TV series, What We Do in the Shadows. No, I don't. It's about a group of vampires and one of them is a energy vampire. Oh, that's funny. Uh, <laughs> and uh, oh, he's hysterical. It's a comedy. But I wanted to ask you about energy vampires mm. because I think it's something that we have all run into at some point. Yeah. Yeah. So what is happening from the actual energetic field is this. When the person is walking around with a very incomplete auric field, again, we've got all of our gasoline leaking out all over the ground, just like a bad car, right? And if I don't have any gasoline and I come upon someone else during my day, I will energetically move into their field so it looks like the two auric eggs are intersecting and crossing over. 
So I will move into that field in two different ways. I will move in because I'm going to manipulate and control you like the bad boss or the, you know, scary spouse or whatever it is. Or I will move in, which is most STEM paths. Oh, I'm so worried about you. The one, oh, my kid is driving up and you're, you're so worried. Aren't you so worried? So we move into that other field and that crisscross of the two eggs when it intersects is called energy transference. Mm. When we transfer that energy, the one who got it taken has a bit of a, ugh, like a vampire bites mm -hmm. and you got nothing. The vampire is actually, ah, and gets a little bit of a Red Bull hit for a moment. But the problem is, is it's not my energy. So I will need to continue to feed off of other things all throughout the day. Hence the word vampiring, because it'll happen again and again and again. So it's important for us to understand both people are participatory, however, because if I'm the one that got hit and sucked from, I also don't have that discernment skill to say, absolutely not. This is not your space, right? right? So this is a lose-lose on both. So the vampire can be very destructive and get all the way into really nasty manipulation, like a gaslighter, for example, which is another big buzzword these last two years. Oh, he's a gaslighter. He's a narcissist. Oh, she's a this, she's a that. That is a classic of the vampire also, because we will manipulate with our words and our actions and we'll steal and steal and steal. And I'll keep doing it again and again, because I need more and more. So that's the concept of it. And the energy vampire will also, usually unbeknownst to them, by the way, take it from everywhere. They'll take it from all planes of existence and they're not even aware. Yeah. Yeah. The character on the TV show, he is very aware. That's uh, the but, mean ones. Yeah. But yeah, I agree that most don't quite know what they're doing. Um, mm -mm. I had a, so I was reading your book and you were talking about this. I had a former roommate. I actually wrote her name in the margins when you were talking ah. about that because I'm like, yes, that's it. And I found that there was also an aspect of shadow projection that was going on. That's interesting. Yep. Yep, yeah. for sure. And I'm going to, yeah, we project all day long and everything I don't mm -hmm. like about you, I'm going to steal. You know, energy vampiring also, by the way, can be, I used to be a huge one and I didn't know because I did not know this at the beginning. So again, corporate days, you know, I'd be taking as I walked through that show floor, like I said, and, or I'd take from employees and I wasn't a malicious, nasty one. I just was uneducated. Mm. But what happens is you're exhausted by the end of the night. So oftentimes what the vampire will then do is keep going in a different way. I would then call a sister and I have multiple of them. And I would call a sister and complain and yak about my day so that they would fill you all up. And then that wasn't good enough. So I'd have to call another sister or another friend. And women are notorious for this. Y'all go out for a couple of drinks and you start yakking about your husband or your kids. And then everybody one ups everybody because you think you got it bad. How about this? So these are also tactics of vampiring and one upping each other is sucking everybody dry. So when we step back and we A, learn this and then B, start to do some self-examination we find that we're stealing energy all the time. And my field since I was little was gigantic and I never understood that. I just came in with a really high energetic caliber of an electric field. So I would go to a party and everybody would come and just suck mm. me dry. And I didn't understand either way back then. I would go home exhausted and I'm like, mm. I don't even know what just happened. I was having a great time at the party and now I feel like crap. So these are really mechanics that many of us are doing throughout our day, just on a kind of like zombie-like basis. Yeah. Zombies and, and <laughs> zombies and vampires. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's what I recognize about myself when I use the example of sympathy. 
that there was a part of me that I was feeding on that, that yes. I was being a bit of a psychic vampire there. Yes. Um, and it seems that a symptom, maybe, I don't know if that's the best way to describe this, that this is happening is that need of having to recharge to kind yes. of isolate yourself, that that would be a good symptom of a need to try to protect, to protect yes. myself. somehow. When we get better at this, we find fuel in different ways. And I highly suggest, and I give really tactical information at the end of the book, but I highly suggest to all of my clients, figure out what nature elements that feed your soul. Figure out what parts like you feed your soul with the mountains in Colorado, right? Mm. I happen to be a huge wind and fire person. So I can stand out there and suck the wind in like an X-Men and feel powerful. And I don't suck anything from anybody. I'm great, you know, grateful for the wind. And these are tactical things that are important for us to understand that this planetary relationship is part of our fuel system. Mm. And this is, again, not something that we learn in everyday mainstream at all, right? right. I mean, it's not normal. Yeah. Well, it's normal. No, yeah. No, I love that in the book where you described going out into the the winds and uh, mm -hmm. it was like heat lightning or something going on. And Yeah, and uh, my kid was saw, in the yard. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. I felt that too. I, I felt that being outside in the wind and just feeling that charge. Yeah. And, you know, it's not just Colorado. I do this here as well. I'm fortunate to live so close to the mountains where I am. But every Friday, weather and health permitting, I go and I hike. That's um, awesome. And I need that. And so I never schedule interviews on Fridays. I'm always like, nope, I can't do Friday. I call it my Friday office. Right. Um, and, and it is, it, it is. is. And yeah. the funny part is, is again, what people maybe don't understand is it's our commitment to being on this planet. We right. are here to guardian this planet, which means reciprocal relationship to mm -hmm. nature. Right. I gratify you and I take from you. And it is important for us to understand that taking mm -hmm. is the process to give back. That's right. the, that's the receiving and taking. And so we just seem to do it with people and stuff right. versus nature, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, I needed to recharge myself. And I intentionally did this. I started like 10 years ago that I go to the same place because I wanted to create a relationship with the land. It's your gas station. <laughs> it is. And it was amazing because we've had, you know, I'm in Southern California. So we had, you know, all these massive, you know, yeah. rains. And, you know, before, you know, I would just hop over like little trickles of water. And when I finally was able to go back this past Friday, the water was up over my knees. Oh my gosh. And, and so you actually really had to get into it and wade through it and everything. And what you were just talking about, it just kind of struck something. It's like, you know, yeah, there's this energy of the wind, but now I've got the energy of the water that I'm yep. working with. Again, and, that's another psychic sense to get yeah. all five activations, meaning yeah. if I, if I'm already good with the earth, I want to push myself into the water yeah. fire, you know, yeah. ether. I want it all right. Yeah. I mean, that's when we get skilled. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. 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 And I've had times where I just had this uh, last night, in fact, where I just had this overwhelming feeling of, I want to go out on my front lawn and just lie there and be connected to the earth. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Oh, That's great. Yeah, yeah. We need that, I think. So what are some other things that people can do to, and I see a connection here with recharging and recharging and protection. 
Yes. So how can we, let's start with protect. How can we protect our energy fields? How can we protect that auric egg? The very first thing is to understand that you have an auric egg, mm. <laughs> right? And to get some visualization on that. I have a free meditation on my homepage that you can just download. And it's also in the book, by the way. And we will be doing all the meditations that are in the book on my website thoroughly very soon here. So it is called the grounded bubble. So it's just in visualizing that I am bringing source energy in. I'm connecting to Father Cosmos, Mother Earth, and I'm bringing it back to heart space and then putting that so-called bubble around me so that I train myself enough to say, oh my, I just walked through something that isn't of Suzanne. So this skill set comes very quickly as long as you're diligent about visualizing that and just doing body checks. I have a full body scan in there also in the back of the book that we'll be recording as well because the body scan itself and the more you get to learn your chakras, you can identify in two seconds what is going on in your body because it's a map and it's super easy. And so even if you're not a great feeler, we still know, hey, my back hurts, right? I mean, we can get that. So these processes of taking yourself seriously and putting yourself first. See, the empath puts themselves last. Mm. The empath is last to do anything for themselves because they're that important to fix everybody else first. And that is the biggest key. Switching that up is about self-care and wellness. And that's vital for the empath. Flip that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm working on that one. So the meditation and the visualizations, is this something that someone would do like at the beginning of the day or is as needed? Um, I suggest to my clients and all the people I teach is to just do mini stuff. You know, when we're that kind of a typical human, let's all think about the first of the year. I'm going to go to the club every single day at 6am. And by day three, you've absolutely dropped the ball and then you self, you know, bash and then you become the victim and right away. So if you get into real meditations, that's awesome. If you don't do many meditations, I will stand in places like Walmart and do a scan in the line. I will pick the longer line so that I can actually scan my body and get rid of everything from Walmart, except my groceries. I will cut the lights. I will cut the mayhem. I will cut the over, you know, stock shelves. I'll cut everything. And I said that in the book too, that my hands automatically chop at those sites because I cut all of those cords. Many meditations and tapping into your body is really a great step into this instead of making it a really big deal. And then playing, I highly suggest play, you know, go talk to the tree, go touch the rock, go sit on five rocks and see if they sound and feel different. And imagination is part of this process. People inevitably, when you first train them psychically, oh, I'm just making that up. And I'm like, good. Fake it till you make it because the brain process trusts imagination and then we'll turn it on to realization. And this is part of it as well. So play like a kid, right? It's important. Yeah. I was going to ask you about the importance of imagination. Yeah. Really, really important. And you know, when I started, I didn't meditate at all. I mean, I was such a spaz back when I was, you know, running all over the country and raising kids and 8 million hockey games and this and that and the other thing, I never slowed down. I couldn't sit still for two minutes. And I thought that was normal. I thought that was productive. So I crashed and burned really bad. And I write that pretty intimately in the book on how I went down hard with this stuff. Now, oh my gosh, there's days where I'm craving to go down into my healing room and just lay on my table for like two hours because it's just that important. And it's, it's great. So this is trainable. Don't ever tell me you can't meditate because it's just training. 
Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a practice. It's something that yes. you have to practice, you know? Yeah. Yeah. My niece, I, I've been trying to convince her to meditate. She's well, I can't. I'm like, but you can, you just have to practice it. I had a class one time, super funny, quick story. I had this class, I don't know, 60, 70 people. And it was how to teach meditation. And I said, everybody close your eyes and take a big breath. And they all acquiesce, right? And then I go, now I want you to clear your mind of absolutely everything. And they're all breathing and got these faces. And I started laughing really loud. And I go, seriously, people, you think that's even possible? And they all <laughs> open, their, <laughs> open their eyes like, what? What is this lady doing? And I said, it is not possible to clear your mind. So stop clearing your mind. Now I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to merge with every single solitary thing, the person next to you, the sound of the clock, the dinging of the you know, door, whatever, you know, and start being one with everything instead of trying to remove yourself. Mm -hmm. And they just looked at me like I was crazy right out of the gate. It was super funny. So yeah. being, being one is the ultimate law of the universe. We are all one energetically speaking and soul speaking. We are all one with source. And so merging and transmuting is all what this is about, not removing. Right. Right. Well, and I also like the body scans because that's also a meditative practice. I think that we have Huge. this false notion that meditation's all again, it's all up in the head. Yeah. But you know, even in Buddhism, they have, you know, thousands of years old meditative practices. You scan the body, you check in with yep. the body. And you can also scrub a toilet and it can be meditative. And I'm not oh, joking. Yeah. This is not having to be all Zen and Omi because a lot of people can't start that way. So find right. that element outside. Maybe you're the gardener that wants your hands in the dirt, mm -hmm. or maybe you just want to stare at the flower and find the fairy eventually. They're all different ways to practice. And I tell my groups, again, especially the Vibe Tribe group, your creativity only limits your mm -hmm. skill set. That's the yeah. only thing that limits you is your creativity. Mm -hmm. So have fun, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, I was thinking that there might be some other things that can be done for protection. I I'm a fan of burning sage. Yep. I burn sage, sage myself every morning, every morning. That's great. Uh, and that's all, that's all awesome. And those are practices that, again, your belief system is believing right. in the sage. And I'm not saying right. it isn't real. Right. So nine tenths of this, if not, again, 12 tenths of this is belief systems. And mm -hmm. so, you know, when I started paranormal work, I used to sage everything and go from room to room and blah, blah, blah. Now that I'm like in the quantum world, I sit down and I can clear a whole entire half a city in two seconds in my head. Mm -hmm. So it isn't, it isn't necessarily at this or a that or a right or a wrong. It's what Nick chooses right. to actually right. become a practicum mm -hmm. that makes your feeling of safe come alive. And so it can be anything, but there are in essence, certain things like the sage, like in, when you do all the four corners, it's the sage, the tobacco, the sweet grass, mm -hmm. and the cedar. And that's the, the four corners of it. And that's a beautiful ceremony too. So you can do, I'm a huge burner. When I let things go or I cut massive, you know, karmic cords or whatever, I journal and then I burn because I love watching mm -hmm. it go to the ethers. So right. I do a lot of that kind of things. You can wear oils, you can wear rocks, you can do talismans, you can do a just about, and there's a million ideas in the back appendix. Mm -hmm. The appendix in the back has every single chakra with every single helpful hint along the way for protection and grounding. So it's all in there. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I don't want to go through all, I just wanted to ask for a couple there. Yeah, that's great and, though. Sage yeah. is, you know, and, and sage sadly is kind of taken a, another kitschy yeah. thing these last years you know it's like oh. we have this little piece of sage in with that and it's a it's an actual beautiful indigenous process yeah. Yeah. of true honor and mm -hmm. so i think 
get your head in line when you're using the sage because it's important. Yeah. Yeah. I grow my own sage. I have a beautiful sage plant. That's awesome. You do the wild stuff. I love that smell. Yeah. 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 So do I. So do I. It's amazing. And so recharging, maybe some time alone, connecting with the earth, connecting with the elements. Mm -hmm. And people don't like to necessarily be alone for some reason. Me, on the other hand, over all these years, I'm finding myself loving to be alone more and more because this almost puts you in the position of trusting that there's more elsewhere Mm -hmm. in your fields. And so it, again, is a practicum to say, I'm going to actually push myself to understand quiet. And the really great way for that to recharge too is nature. So I can sit at my cabin, for example, and I can throw something out to the so-called universe or my guides. What should I do about this? Okay. I did a beautiful conference recently with women and it happened to rain that weekend. And I was working with nature outside and showing them how nature can heal you. And I stood them all around a big, huge puddle that the rain was going in, plop, plop, plop with the rings, et cetera. And I had them all bring forward in their mind the things that they were struggling with. And I said, let the puddle teach you. And they were sobbing by the end of 15 minutes mm. because nature is the teacher and the filler. It's the fuel. It's the protector. It's the wise one. And even a bird, you know, even a wind, everything. I play with the wind at my cabin all the time. I will invoke the wind over and over to the extent that my neighbors are like, Suzanne, seriously, come on, you know, cause it just, you know, so, and then I, then I jump up and down like a little kid and thank it because it's so wonderful. So these are healing fillers that we can do at any moment in time if we just are present. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I like that you just said feeling like a kid because that takes us back to that idea of play that you mentioned. So critical. Yeah. 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 Quit being adults. <laughs> well, and, and most empaths actually, most empaths, not all, but most empaths have been shoved into the feeling of being an adult very young. Mm. And so this is part of their belief system that I have to take care of everybody and keep conflict away because it's protection. So it's the screwed up belief system in their head because of the fact that they didn't get to be a child. So I don't care how old you are. I mean, I'm 63 years old and I act way more like a child than any of my adult (laughs) kids. And they're all those like, mom, seriously. And I I mean, I don't think there's an age limit on that. Right. So this is where bliss comes from. And that's a tough word for most people because they don't want to be silly or embarrassed. You know, take your clothes off and run through the field if you really need to, because that's awesome. Right. Yeah. Depending on where your field is. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I think that a lot of it is the head, you know, it tells us that uh, there's that concern of what will other people think? (laughs) Which is huge for the empath. Yep. And when you get good at this, you don't care what other people think. And it's not that you don't care in a nasty way. You realize the honor of them having a different perspective is their right. Right. And that changes everything for the empath. Yeah. Yeah. I just remind myself that really no one cares everyone's so wrapped up in their own thought process and their feelings that ultimately people don't care. (laughs) Well, they act like they care though. You said projecting before and shadowing and throwing shadow that they act like they care because this is the empath. I act like I care because I want you to validate that I'm right. Oh yeah. You see? Yeah. 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 That one hit me pretty squarely when you wrote about that sense of the feeling the need to be right. Yeah. Yeah. I was an ace at that. And let me tell yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. 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 
Yeah. Now I don't care. <laughs> yeah. It's difficult to let go. It's difficult to let go. You know. Yeah. But it's possible because I'm sitting yeah. here and I will tell yeah. you it is yeah. possible. And it's yeah. so much easier. It's so yeah. much easier. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Suzanne, I, I know that we are out of time. I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Uh, Thank you. Let me ask you two final questions. One is what do you have coming up? I actually am in the midst of gathering the multitudes of notes, even on napkins and slices of paper and files and you name it, to start my next book. And so this is when I'm going to actually step into all of the galactic stuff that I do that is going to probably be one of those books like, you do what? (laughs) So (laughs) all of the quantum fields and all of the stuff as a practitioner and as a human here and my human journey. And so that's going to be, and I'm just at the very beginnings of starting that. But in the meantime, I'm doing as many possible classes as we can on the confident empath because I believe in that work so much. We have pumped it up in terms of social media, meaning we're pumping it up on Facebook. We have an Instagram account that I do energy updates on for the empath once a week at least. And we started a blog, not a blog, I'm sorry, a podcast called Energy Unleashed. And it's awesome because we will go partner Kim and I we will go through energy situations and break them out so that people can learn from one another. So everything is on my website. And I highly suggest if people don't have a place to be educated, check out Vibe Tribe because for the cost of it, you get so, so much stuff every single month and everything's up to date energetically. Okay. And the website is swordly.com? Yep. Just my name. So S-W-O-R-T-H-L-E-Y.com. And it's all on there, including the books, but you can find those both on Amazon and just about anywhere at this point. So wonderful. Well, I will put a link to your website on the show notes in the video description. I Um, really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. And are the social media links on the website as well? I think so. We're under a redesign right now, but if anybody's ever curious of anything, they can just Google me. I pop up with my name everywhere. So thank you for asking. Yeah, of course. Of course. Well, I found the book really useful. And like I said, I related to it quite a bit uh, (laughs) and found it helpful, found it very helpful. Good. Uh, So, so, well, Suzanne, thank you so much. I, again, I really appreciated and enjoyed this conversation. Thanks. Me too. Thanks for having me. All right. Wonderful. And that's a wrap on episode 86 of Rebel Spirit Radio. Thank you so much for listening or watching if you're a part of my YouTube audience or view this on Spotify. If you like what I do here on Rebel Spirit Radio and would like to support my work and show me a little love, then please consider becoming a patron. You can find the link for the Patreon in the show notes or the video description. And of course, if you'd prefer to make a one-time donation, you can still do so via PayPal. I will be incredibly grateful for any support that you can provide. Another way that you can help the podcast is to share it with friends, family members, coworkers, even anyone that you think will enjoy it. And please share it on social media too. That really is one of the best ways that you can help and support the podcast. So if you feel moved by the rebel spirit, and I sure hope that you do, then please, by all means, help me share the good news. Also, if you enjoyed the podcast, please make sure to give it a positive rating on whatever platform you use to listen to or view podcasts. And please subscribe. For those viewing this on YouTube, please give this video a thumbs up and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Make sure you hit that notification bell so you will be informed when I upload new content. I'm Nick Mather, and you've been listening to or watching Rebel Spirit Radio.
Until next time, may you be in peace, may you flourish in all possible ways, and may you continue to nurture your rebel spirit.